The nail in the coffin! It's episode number 81 of The Nail in the Coffin. Uh, Trev, we took last week off, but uh, back in the saddle now. How are you doing, my man? Uh, better than the tribe. Uh, we took the week off. They took the week off. They came back much worse than we did. Yeah, that's uh, that's fair. It's uh, not been a good uh, start to the second half of the season. Uh, coming out of the All-Star break, uh, getting swept in Oakland, still in the Bay here as uh, we record on Monday night. But uh, to help... Uh, Get uh, get things sorted out and uh, bring us up to speed. Uh, we've got uh, who better than uh, TD Derry? TD, welcome back to our show and uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. How are we doing? Uh, we're uh, we're doing pretty good. But uh, can you uh, explain what is going on with the Wahoos right now? Uh, Got to say, uh, last night after the uh, the third game of that series in Oakland wrapped up, uh, I I popped in on Twitter. That was about as aggravated as I've seen you in a while. You know, I, I wish I had an explanation for it. Um, it's very frustrating. You know, just something just seems to be missing with this team. The talent is there. That's what's so frustrating to me. I mean, I look around the diamond when they're when they're totally healthy. Let me just say, when everybody's healthy, I, I don't see how other than uh, other than uh, Houston, there's a better team out there from a lineup standpoint. And when everybody is clicking, you got the best bullpen in the league, and the rotation should be better. At a minimum, you still got a top two that I would put up against anybody else in the league. I don't know how to explain it. I really don't. And, you know, to say there's a lack of leadership or whatever, I don't know if that you can use that as an excuse. It's just there's a lot of underperforming going on. Let's let's start with the rotation. Um, I think that's a good place to to get us going. And you had mentioned the, the top two guys. We got Kluber. We got uh, Carrasco. Um, I can't remember who I saw say this first, but I thought it was a perfect description. The Indians right now, it feels like they've got two number ones and three number fives. <laughs> That's great. I wish I could take credit for that, for saying that. <laughs> but uh, that, that, that is pretty genius. You know, I, I still say that, that, you know, thank God for the AL Central because, you know, if we were in the same division as Houston, we'd be like 14 games out of first. So knowing that, the division is as weak as it is. I just feel like all they got to do is turn it or, you know, get something going and they'll be fine. However, it's hard to sustain a long winning streak when basically you have to win when Kluber and Carrasco start because you have no clue what's coming from the next three guys. I mean, I know Clevenger's been great in his last five starts, but still there's not enough history there to, you know, know what, what's going to happen with him the rest of the way. Bauer is so up and down, and yesterday he was absolutely terrible. And Tomlin is what he is. Um, I'm I'm not a huge Tomlin fan. I will forever be grateful for what he gave us last year in October and September. I mean, if you think about his story, he was so bad last year that he was taken out of the rotation. And the only reason he ended up back in the rotation was because of the injuries to Salazar and Carrasco. And he just somehow found it and was great up until the sixth game of the World Series. But it's going to be very interesting to see where they go going forward with with Salazar, who pitched yesterday in AAA, and uh, you know I, I think he went six innings and gave up two runs and struck out nine. 
Uh, he, from all reports, looks pretty good. and He should be back soon. And they have him lined up on the same day as Bauer, which is interesting because someone's going to have to go. I don't think you can remove Clevenger. I personally would remove Tomlin, but I got to believe, just knowing Tito with his loyalty to Tomlin, that he's going to send Bauer to the bullpen of all people. So it's just going to be really interesting to see how this all shakes out. And then you think about the trade deadline and will they trade for someone like Sonny Gray? Uh, you just, it's, it's the biggest question mark on the team, no question. You're hitting all my talking points in the first five minutes. You are coming out guns a-blazing, my man. That's what I do, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll jump in. I'll segue right into the Sonny Gray discussion here. A, do you want him? B, how much are you willing to give up? The name that everyone seems to be throwing around is is, uh, Mejia, obviously the top prospect in their uh, farm system. Personally, and maybe this is, I, I don't know exactly. I don't know exactly what goes into all this stuff. Um, to me, it seems like a lot to give up a 21-year-old top prospect guy for what is essentially going to be your third starter, agree or disagree. And obviously, it sounds like it'll take more than just Mejia, but agree or disagree. Well, I would agree with you. I am of the camp. Well, here, there's, 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 there's two schools of thought here. Number one, we're in a two-year window, okay? Andrew Miller and Cody Allen will not be on this team after next season it's it's they're pricing themselves out of town that's just a fact so really your window is last year this year and next year uh because who knows what this bullpen is going to be like i believe shaw is a free agent after this year too so as we know if if for everybody who's watched indians baseball um the, the easiest way to derail a season is have a bad bullpen and we saw that in 2008, 2009, 2010. Some bad bullpens can derail a team. And with Cody Allen and Andrew Miller and Brian Shaw probably not on this team after the next two years, you know, you just don't know. Uh, so I think they do have to strike while the iron is hot. So I would understand it if they did end up dealing Mejia to get somebody like Sonny Gray. On the other side of it, you got – Lindor, who's under contract for at least six more years. You got J Ram, who's under contract for, I believe, six more years. The young core is still going to be there. I know the pitching's not, you know, going to be, you know, the bullpen's not going to be the same and the rotation might change, but you're still going to have that young core. The catching position, as we all know, has been a defense first position this year. Neither Jan Gomes nor Roberto Perez uh, is, is hitting their weight currently. And Mejia's the future catcher, and this is probably the best catching prospect in all of baseball. They dodged a bullet by not trading him for Jonathan Lucroy last year when Lucroy vetoed the trade. So are you really going to send him out twice? I just I don't see how you can get rid of him. The two guys that I would not trade are Mejia and Tristan McKenzie. Everybody else who's a pitcher in, in single A right now who's the best pitching prospect the Indians have. Uh, Everybody else to me would be on the table. If you could somehow get Sonny Gray without giving up one of those two, I'm completely on board. If it's going to require trading one of those two, I just, I don't know. Knowing that you basically have this two, it's really a tough situation. Do you think long-term? Do you think about this is our window? It's really a tough thing to do. And, you know, I don't envy Mike Chernoff and Chris Antonetti in that spot. Mejia, how how far away is he from being major league ready? Is he a guy that we would expect to see possibly next year 
or are we looking at like 2019? I think mid 2018 next summer, you're going to see him. I think it's kind of like the Lindor plan where you know his, his bat's ready. The, the, the question that, you know, he's 21 years old, it's handling a staff. The one thing about minor league catchers that's very important is these guys get these innings under their belt and they really develop and learn how to deal with the staff. That's why, you know, the people that call, Hey, we should bring up Mejia now you're going to throw him into a middle of a pennant race. He's never caught any of these guys and you're going to expect him to just know how Corey Kluber works and know how Carlos Carrasco works and the, and the, you know, eccentric ways of Trevor Bauer. And, you know, I just, I, I feel like he, middle of next year is probably that time you give him, you know, a little bit, you know, a, a full season this year uh, in the minors in double A. He has, you know, he's still in double A here. Uh, you know, I think you start him off in AAA next year, and then by midseason would be the, the time that, you know, if, if it's his time to come up, that's when I see him coming up. You know, it was kind of a similar thing with Zimmer. I don't think we all thought we'd see Zimmer this year or maybe middle of the season. It kind of came a little bit earlier uh, just because out of need. I mean, if you think about it, if the injuries to the outfielders don't occur, we haven't seen Zimmer yet. We haven't. If Austin Jackson, Lonnie Chisholm, all Brandon guys, we had four outfielders on the DL at once and they had no choice, but to bring up Zimmer. So, you know, and, and the way the Indians are, they're obviously not going to rush any of their guys, you know, to give them that, you know, potential to be a super two. I, I think middle of next year is when you're going to see Mejia. Okay. So what do you, what, uh, if you had to make a prediction right now, what sort of moves do you think the Indians will make? And do and, and, Whatever you think is going to happen, is that what you want to happen or what? I really want them to, to get Sonny Gray. I, you know, last year they really got lucky with the, I mean, you put it this way. If you told me the begin when, when I was at the game when Carrasco broke, got the line drive off of his hand and broke his hand and was out for the year, I really truly thought at that point we had no chance to get to the World Series because I just couldn't see how with no Salazar and no Carrasco, how they were going to win these games with Tomlin and Bauer going 2-3. So we've seen it once. I just don't know how you're going to be able to go into a, a, a playoff with two starters you can count on and hope for the best with the rest and go deep. The way this team is playing, I got to believe you got to add another arm. I hope that they're going to deal for Sonny Gray. I just think that the price is going to be too high and they won't deal for him. I think they're going to end up getting some sort of a bat. It won't be a big impact bat. It'll be more along the lines of getting like what they did with Geyer last year. I think that'll be the kind of guy that they end up getting. But I just, I don't see them mortgaging the future to get Sonny Gray when other teams are more willing to do so than we are. Uh, It's just the way the franchise is. They took their shot with Andrew Miller last year and it worked. But you also kind of, I'm not going to say you gutted your minor league system, but you traded, you know, three guys. I mean, it was four, but three guys who would eventually become major leaguers in your, in your system. So I just, I don't, I don't know. I just don't see that they pony up to get something great. No, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think personally, I think, like you said, you don't want to gut your system because I don't know that their system is really all that deep to begin with. Um, it is, it I don't know that it's right. in great shape. So I think that's that's maybe a little over anxious to to make a move within this window. Um, another name that's been thrown out a bit, 
And it seems like half of the people are like, yeah, this is a possibility. And another half of the people are like, there's no way that he's even on the market. But Jacob DeGrom seems to be, his name seems to get thrown around a little bit. Um, I think he's more exciting, obviously, than Sonny Gray. Um, obviously, he's going to take a little bit more. Are you willing to give up one of those two guys for him, you think? I mean, to get Jacob DeGrom, you're looking at probably giving up Mejia, Tristan McKenzie, and like Greg Allen. I mean, that, and that's a lot. Yeah, Jacob DeGrom, absolutely I would give up the farm for him. I don't know his contract situation and how long he's – I mean, I know he's young because he won – I think he was AL rookie or NL Rookie of the Year two years ago. So I got to believe his control is probably at least four more years. It's going to cost you a lot. I would – I mean, I would mortgage the future for someone like him. Absolutely, I would. I just – I can't see the Mets giving up on him at this point. I just – I don't see that happening. TD, back to uh, going back to talking about the tribe trying to acquire a bat. If they do try to bring somebody in, um, what position are you looking at uh, to to upgrade in that case? That, that uh, Tom, that's a, a really good question. The, the the obvious answer there is catcher because the guys aren't hitting. I just there's there's nobody on the market that's going to be impact to take over that spot, and you know. Here's the thing about this team, and, I, and, and I've said this on Twitter a ton. If Jason Kipnis, Francisco Lindor, and Carlos Santana were playing like they were supposed to, this offense would not be a problem. Those three guys have, I mean, take away Lindor's April, and, he, and the rest of them have under, that's been a serious underachieving you know, trio. Uh, and that's, that's been the problem. The one spot you could consider doing, and I just don't know if, you know, there, there's, spot, there's so many outfielders on this team. I just don't know where you would find a spot to play somebody unless you sent Zimmer back and you got someone like Andrew McCutcheon, for instance. But I don't know how much better that makes the team. Uh, McCutcheon's not what he used to be. Uh, um, and Zimmer's playing a terrific center field. There's something about his speed you know that that's that's a major thing that's lacking also from this team from last year the speed of rajay davis and the smart base running of mike napoli has really been lost they're not taking that extra base the way they used to and they're not stealing bases the way they used to uh but you know to get back to the original question i just don't know unless you were to move you know Jose Ramirez back to the outfield and got like a Todd Frazier to play third. And again, I, I just don't think that's a realistic thing. Um, I just, I really, that's, that's a great question, Tom. And, and that's a real tough spot to find the answer to, you know what? I'll tell you what the obvious answer would be, would be to find a big impact first baseman to replace Carlos. Cause Carlos has been dog crap most of the year. He really has, you know, I've been a big proponent of Carlos, high on base percentage, but he's his power's way off. He's more pull happy than he's been in years past, which has been driving me crazy. And they moved him down to seventh because he can't be counted on in the middle of the order. Which brings me to another topic that we can get to later, which is I would be revamping this batting order at some point soon as well. Um, let let's go ahead and get into that now. I don't see any reason to back burner it. Uh Go ahead. What 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 would you do with the lineup if uh, you were Terry Francona? Well, the the obvious thing and what I've 
been talking about for weeks is I just don't understand why they Tito feels the need to have Jose Ramirez, who's his best hitter, hitting fifth when he's putting, you know, whoever in the leadoff spot and Frankie batting two. I mean, it, it, it's pretty simple. You're, whoever's batting in the top of the order is going to get the most at bats. Why would you put your best guy hitting fifth? <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. I understand he wants to protect Edwin Encarnacion. To me, you got to hit Ramirez second or third. I'd move Brantley back down. Brantley hasn't had a home run since the end of April, and you're hitting him third. I mean, I love Michael Brantley, but I would move him. To, I would probably flip-flop Ramirez and hit him third and have Brantley hit fifth. The leadoff spot has also become a problem. I want to see Zimmer up there, and I like that with Kittness injured, they're going with Zimmer and see what he does. Um, you know, for now, that's where I would leave it. But even when Kipnis is back, I'd be moving Kipnis way down too. He's just, listen, I, again, I love Kip. He's been terrible this year. He has, and he would tell you that too. So they, they got to they gotta do something because what they score? Uh, six runs total against one of the worst teams in the league this weekend. And it's inexcusable to, to get swept by that team and score six runs in three games is just, inexcusable and we've seen too many stretches of this team where they'll go two runs one run three runs and then all of a sudden they'll score 10 and you go oh the offense is fine and then they'll follow it up again by going with three and two and you know whatever it might be something's got to change all right so you mentioned that kip's not had a good year and he would tell you that he actually did tell us all sorts of interesting things in that cleveland scene article last week uh i'm assuming you read that and I did. Okay, so I'm wondering, what were your takeaways from that, both in terms of where Kip is at uh, as a player right now and in his role in the clubhouse and just kind of the way, um, just kind of the perspectives that he shared about the team in general and and where they're at uh, mentally right now? First of all, I would like to say that, you know, Vince at Cleveland Scene did a terrific job. That was, you very rarely get, uh, that kind of, you know, honesty from a player. And I applaud Vince for getting that out of Kip. I applaud Kip for being so honest. Um, I really love, you know, some of the things he had to say. I, I loved his honesty when he was talking about how, uh, you know, he went back to Chicago and, you know, he was catching a ton of flack from Cubs people. And, he, you know, someone yelled, go Cubs at him at the airport. And he told him to F off. I, I mean, I love that kind of stuff. Um, I, I think that, you know, a lot of what he said is true. Um, you know, he, he needed to be one of these guys who stepped forward and be, and become one of the leaders of the team with Napoli and Rajay. Uh, and even, you know, they mentioned Chris Jimenez too, in terms of a leadership, listen, I, I'm no fan of the G man, you know, I don't think, you know, as from a player standpoint, but it sounds to me like he was a, you know, a nice presence in that clubhouse and, and, you know, guys like, you know, Kip, Kip's more out there, you know, open. Uh, but, you know, Kluber and Brantley are more, you know, quiet, lead-by-example kind of guys. Uh, I do think there is a leadership void. Uh, and I think that Kipnis recognized that and feels like he has to step forward. But he's the first one to admit his he wasn't, you know, wasn't healthy at the beginning of the year. You know, when he came back off the DL, kind of like spring training, and he just hasn't been able to find it. And whether it's a you know, uh, World Series hangover or, um, you know, these guys, uh, 
there's, there's just there's something again there's something missing i think they're pressing i think that they you know last year when the indians were down late in games or early in games you just always had that feeling like they were going to come back now it just feels like when they're they get down from behind uh, they get down early they just start to press a lot and you know it's up to guys like kipnis to to you know keep them loose and I, I, I really I don't know what it is. Um, I, I also think that listen, Kip's thirty years old. I'm not saying he's on the decline, but you know if you look if you look at him, the defense when Eric Gonzalez is playing second base, and by no means am I saying Eric Gonzalez should take over at second because he's a he, to me he's a utility man. But when Eric Gonzalez is in there at second, you really see how bad Kipnis's range is or how slow he turns that double play. He may, he talked about in that article, may having to move back to the outfield. It wouldn't shock me one bit if that happened next year. Jose Ramirez's best position is second base. Yandy Diaz is a third baseman. Next, it, it wouldn't shock me one bit if next year, next spring training, Kipnis has moved to the outfield, Yandy's the third baseman, and Jay Rams is second baseman. So, and, and I think he sees that. You know, his... I'm not, it's hard for me to say the be, his best years are behind him, but, you know, we're, we're moving <laughs> into that are. portion. Of, yeah, but we're moving into that portion of his career. And it, it, it's frustrating because I think he is one of these guys who, I, you know, we love having on our team and love the city. And, you know, I always see him and Dustin Pedroia on the kind of a similar playing, you know, a similar level. And Pedroia's starting to slow down. and He's a couple years behind Pedroia. So, I, I don't know. I, I, I still think he ends up eventually in that outfield. Yanni takes over at third and J-Ram ends up at second, which is his best position. All right. So I'm going to get into, let's project out a little bit here. We got, we're in the home stretch of the season, obviously. It kind of feels like it's been sort of a, a slow march to get here. And obviously the yeah. way the team has played up and down has, has sort of been a, a big contributor to that. What do you need to see in the next I don't know, month or so that's going to make you feel, you know, considerably better about this team beyond just win more games, obviously. Um, I just want to see, I just want to see some consistency. Um, You know, the, especially from the offense, there's too many times where it's, they go through a three, four game stretch where they like really have a hard time scoring and they're stranding runners. Tito has also, fallen in love with bunting you know he's always been in love with bunting i shouldn't say he's fallen in love with bunting and any of those who follow me on twitter know i can't stand it with the the bunting stuff just drives me insane i i want you know when there's a man on second base why would nobody out you have three chances at a single why are you wasting an out by bunting that's a whole nother story for another time i just want to see more consistency from the offense I think that when you get everybody healthy, that will help. But consistency from the offense and then something from the back end of the rotation. Somebody has to step forward, whether it's Clevenger, Bauer, Tomlin, Salazar, they make a trade. Somebody has to get behind Kluber and Carrasco and show some consistency and give us that third starter that we can count on and not have to worry about, Nick Goody in the fifth inning, Zach McAllister in the fifth inning, you know, whatever it might be, because the Indians are at their best when their starting pitcher goes six, they have a lead and they turn it over to Shaw, Miller and Allen, and they close it out. 
it's it's that's that's the formula four runs give them a lead get it to those three guys and you should be good that's what i'd like to see in the second half I'll, uh, I've got tickets for Saturday night, and I was looking ahead to the rotation, and I see Trevor Bauer is scheduled to pitch in that game. And I'm not going to lie. I know you had kind of gone back and forth with the with either uh, him or, or Tomlin, uh, probably a decision time coming here shortly with those guys. I, I would not be entirely upset if I saw Danny Salazar pitch in that game on, on Saturday. Well, if Bauer if Bauer does start, at least you know he'll be fresh. I mean, he you know <laughs> he only he only didn't get out of the first yesterday. Um, you know, they're lined up on the same day as I said before, so it's going to be very interesting to see where they go with it. You know, all three of those guys. I know Clevenger has options, but you're not you, you if you're fielding your best twenty five guys, Mike Clevenger is in your rotation. Sometimes these guys do not make the best decision for the, you know, for the 25 man. So if all of a sudden that happened and Clevenger went back down, it would upset me, but it wouldn't stun me because they've done crazier things. That said, I think Tito knows that Clevenger's, it, it has to stick around. Tomlin doesn't seem like a guy who's good for the pen. I feel like if Bauer somehow could figure out a pen roll, but long-term, with Salazar's injury history and Cody Allen and Andrew Miller moving on, I, and again, this is totally me talking out of my ass here. I see Salazar as the back end of the bullpen kind of guy long-term just because he can't stay healthy, but for one or two innings, he can get out there and throw a hundred miles an hour. And I think he could be terrific. He's had some, I mean, it seems like the rumblings around him are just his head's not quite right. Obviously he's got the stuff. Everybody knows that. Um, but it seems like he, he's sort of all over the place mentally. Um, do you, I, I guess I imagine you don't know him that well, but, but does he strike you as the guy that could handle that sort of transition? Well, um, cause obviously there's guys that have, that have really embraced it and it's worked out great for him. Andrew Miller being one of them. Um, and then other guys who just, it never clicks. Is, is there any sort of formula to predict that? Or is it just sort of, you know, throw them in there, see what happens and sort of. I, I think it's a throw them in there. I, I think it's a throw them in there. See what happens. There's been so many failed starters who have done an unbelievable job of the bullpen. I mean, Dennis Eckersley is like, you know, the number one example of that. Uh, Andrew Miller is, is like, as you said, is another one. I think he would be great. Um, but again, there's no way of knowing until it happens. Obviously, you know, and, and, and we've thought this since he came up, you know, in the 2013 season, he was going to be, Danny Salazar was going to be the future of the rotation. Um, whether that happens or not remains to be seen. But if you go back to basically a full calendar year before the All-Star break last year, he's been terrible in the rotation. Not just bad, he's been really bad. And he's walked a lot of guys, his command's been bad. Uh, you know, he's, he's like a five and fly, uh, five and fly kind of guy. Cause he, his pitch count just continues to go up, you know, over a hundred by the fifth inning. But if you're looking at those three guys, Tomlin, Salazar and Clevenger, I mean, and, uh, you know, he, he strikes me as being the best guy for, or, or Bauer, I'm sorry, not Clevenger. He strikes me as being the best guy to put out in the pen. Um, I'm assuming they will put him back. You know, Antonetti and uh, Mickey Calloway actually said in that 92-3 a couple weeks ago, which was, I wouldn't expect us to make a big deal. Danny Salazar is going to be our trade deadline piece. 
So they're going to give him a chance to sink or swim in the rotation. Uh, whether that happens or not, I'm just, I'm skeptical. Um, I hope it works out. But, you know, if I'm Tito, honestly, the guy I'm taking out the rotation is Tomlin. I would keep Bauer in the rotation over Tomlin. I know that's probably a minority opinion after yesterday, but I know what Tomlin is and I know what Bauer is. And there's way more upside with Bauer than with Tomlin. And I would put my chips towards him than I would towards Bauer. I mean, towards Tomlin, I'm sorry. Okay. So I'll sort of, I'll sort of play devil's advocate here. It, it sort of seems like for a lot of the reasons that you advocate and you think Salazar in the bullpen makes, uh, makes a lot of sense it sort of seems like you could apply all that same stuff to Bauer too, no? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I could. My only worry about Bauer is he's, he doesn't throw as many strikes because he has so many pitches and he's constantly trying to throw. You know, the one thing about Danny is pretty much a fastball change kind of guy. And like Zach McAllister was in the rotation, Zach, Zach McAllister was great. Uh, has been very good in the last two years out of the pen because he's limited in the amount of pitches that he throws. And I feel like Salazar is more of a two-pitch guy. You know, he has more, but he's more of a two-pitch guy to be in that bullpen than Bauer. Bauer, he's such a, uh, you know, an enigma. This isn't a guy who you're going to go out there and say, okay, listen, I want you to throw, you know, your breaking ball and your fastball, and that's it. Bauer wants to throw seven pitches, and he's harder to control. So. I mean, I, I get it. I feel like he could adjust probably most likely, but Salazar to me projects more of a, of a bullpen guy than, than Bauer would. How has no one like, how has no one gotten through to Bauer yet? Like, like you said, he has all these different pitches and he has this ridiculous routine that he always has to do and all. How has no one said, no, here's your three pitches. Go throw those. I'm sure someone has, and he said, this is what I'm doing. And because he has that, you know, we've seen him be great. And he, because he has that upside, because he has that pedigree, you know, I mean, think about it. Arizona gave up on him very early because they were just like, this, this kid's a headache. We, we don't want anything to do with him. Uh, so they kind of gave up on him early. You know, he's still very young. I mean, there's, there's lots of years left for him. Um, certain guys, listen, I, I'm not a, psychologist here so you know uh, but he's he's a different animal and you would figure if anybody could figure him out it would be tito and, and mickey calloway and even they haven't figured him out yet so you know <laughs> I, I i don't even know what more to say to be honest with you right no no i'm with you it, it's one of those guys he just perplexes the shit out of me because he's got the tools and he, he's got the talent and everything is there. He just, I, I don't want to say it's like a mental thing, he, but he just overthinks everything. It seems like, um, yeah, he's, and he should be, so you know, smart. should be taking the advice of these guys around him. But yeah, like you said, because he's so smart and he sort of had the same way he's done everything and, and it's worked in the past um, before he got to this level, obviously it's sort of like, well, I just want to, the stubbornness to sort of get away from the shit that got him there in the first place is, this is maddening to me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when they traded for him, I I thought that we would, you know, the the Indians would turn him around and he would be great. And he has had some really good moments and some good runs. And I love his intensity and uh, you know, 
he wants it. There's no doubt. I mean, this isn't a guy who, you know, doesn't care. He cares about pitching and the craft of, you know, the, the science of pitching about as much as, as anybody you'll find. And I think he really, truly wants it. So, you know, I keep hoping, I, I keep hoping that it's going to click and that we're going to go on a huge run with him. But every time he goes on a big run, then he has a start like yesterday. And, you know, that just is so unbelievably maddening that you just, you know, you just don't know what to do. So. I also don't know how many more times I can listen to him after one of those bad outings. Make up that's, that's 10 excuses true, true. to why it was everyone else's fault. Yep, no doubt, no doubt. But anyways. TV, while we're talking about the struggling starters, is there anything you see from Tomlin that is causing the, the drop-off from where we saw him down the stretch last year? You know... I think a lot of it is the the Cubs in game six of the world series last year kind of gave the blueprint, which was you just got to lay off that curveball and wait for those straight fastballs. He was so successful last year in October because they, you know, he was throwing his off speed more than anything else. And he was doing a terrific job and these guys couldn't lay off it. Toronto couldn't lay off it. Boston couldn't lay off it. And then the Cubs couldn't lay off it when he was terrific in game. What was it? Must have been game three. Yeah, we won one nothing in game three. And then, you know, came back around to game six, and the Cubs, their game plan was we're not going to swing at those off speed pitches. We are going to wait for the fastball and we're going to tee off. And it worked. I think that that blueprint carries over. And, you know, Tomlin's not a swing and miss guy. He's painting the corners, you know, he pitches to contact and he's, you know, when, when he does pitch to contact and good hitters can wait on the pitch that they want, he's not blowing anything by anybody. He, you know, he, listen, we've known this for how many years he gives up home runs. It's, that's how, that's how he is. It's just limiting it to solo shots a couple of times a game. This year, he seems to have been hurt more and more by the three run homer than he has. So I don't think he's any different of a pitcher. I think he's always been this guy. It's just that there's, you know, more teams know what to do and they know to, to, to wait for that fastball. So, um, you know, we'll see how he does tonight. You know, he's, he's, he's pitching in San Francisco against a, a bad team. Um, you know, we'll see. I don't know how many more chances he's going to get. I mean, I've, we've all watched him this year. I mean, his last, his last start out was against a bad San Diego team. And, you know, he gave up only two runs. I think he gave up like four hits and seven. He was good. But previous to that, he hadn't gone more than five in his previous five starts. So it's just, you know, you just don't know. You know what he is? He's a fifth starter, which is every other fifth starter in the league is the same way. You don't know what you're going to get. You're hoping for the best. But you're a fifth starter for a reason. And that's what he is. All right. So – Give us a prediction. What what happens here? We got the trade deadline. What uh, two weeks from uh, tomorrow, I believe, right? Um, yeah, thirty first. So two weeks from Wednesday. Uh, two weeks from wait, what's two weeks 30? from today. Then yeah, to, uh, July thirty first. Yes, two weeks from today, Monday. All right. So wow. what what uh, what do you envision the Indians doing? Do you see them getting super aggressive and uh, pulling the trigger again um, on? kind of a big time commodity 
uh, maybe somebody to bolster the rotation or do they uh, play a little bit more cautiously or do they even just uh, completely stand pat at, uh, at the trade deadline? I think they're going to add an ancillary piece uh, and it'll be a bat. I think they're planning on, I think they'd like, they're doing their due diligence on Sonny Gray and they'd like him, but I think the price is going to be too much. And this organization values prospects, uh, you know, which they should do because of the market we're in. Um, And I think it's just an ancillary bat that they end up getting and they, are crossing their fingers and hoping that the rotation answer is going to be Danny Salazar because they've seen him be good in the past. And I think they're hoping that that's what's going to happen. They're still going to win the division because the AL central, I've said this many times, the greatest thing that Dick Jacobs ever did for this organization was force their move into the AL central and not keep them in the East with the Yankees and the Red Sox. But I, I think they win the division. They end up in the playoffs. And when they get there, I'll take my chances with, Kluber and Carrasco and see what happens from there. But that's how I think it's going to end up. Anything you're expecting um, from the other contenders that are in the mix in the American league? I know Houston's kind of pulled away from the field a little bit in the standings right now, but uh, the Indians in the, in the series that they've seen them this year, the Indians fared very well. Um, But uh, just kind of looking at the rest of the, the landscape, as far as the contenders go, um, what are you expecting here down the stretch? Well, it's going to be interesting. You know, I went, I went to Houston for that series. Uh, um, a buddy of mine and I uh, and my brother, we usually go on a uh, tribe trip every summer. Uh, and we, you know, go to a different stadium and see him over a weekend. And we went to Houston. And that was the Indians team that I thought we would see all year. They were focused. They, you know, the, Bauer was great. Clevenger was great. Uh, they, they just, they played their to their game plan, which was good starting pitching, just, you know, timely hitting, turn it over your pen and win. Um, that was what we saw in Houston. I think that uh, the team that concerns me the most, Houston's got to make another rotation move. I don't see them going deep unless they get a third starter. I am not as concerned about the AL East teams as I am with Houston because Boston's lineup doesn't scare me. Tampa doesn't scare me. And the Yankees don't scare me. The Yankees don't have the pitching. Tampa doesn't have the starting pitching. While Boston has Chris Dale and David Price, uh, that offense without David Ortiz just is not the same. So to me, it's the Indians or Houston. And Houston's lineup is so unbelievably tough. If they were to add Sonny Gray, you got to believe that they're going to be the favorites, and that's the team that concerns me. I'm hoping Sonny Gray ends up either with the Indians, obviously, or or into the National League. So, uh, in the end, I see an ALCS with Houston and the Indians, and we'll see. We'll, we'll you know we'll see what happens from there. But you know, let's hope Sonny Gray ends up either with the Indians or in the National League. All right, Trev. Uh, any more questions for TD? No, I think he uh, he kind of hit his stride there, and he just went after it. We got it all in there. I like it. Uh, always good stuff. TD, uh, give everybody your Twitter handle. It's uh, at TD, the number one, Tribe KU. There it is. So if uh, if you're on Twitter um, during uh, Tribe games, uh, TD's you a must-follow. You, you've yeah, probably seen him retweet it at some point. When I'm, when I'm there. Him, just don't know it. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a season ticket holder. I, you know, I go to about, 
uh, last year I went to 51 games. Uh, I'm, I'm on a, uh, that same pace again. You know, I usually I, I try to go see the tribe on the road as many times as I can. I've been went to Houston to see his play this year, uh, Colorado. Um, I was hoping to get on this trip in Oakland and San Francisco, but things didn't work out. But uh, probably you know I'll probably be in Detroit over uh, Labor Day. I just I I love seeing this team on the road. And I'll tell you another thing, boys. This year, more than any year, when I go see the Indians on the road, there were so many Indians fans with Indians gear at these opposing stadiums, it, more than any I've ever seen in any year. And it really, it, it made me feel great. I loved it. So much tribe pride throughout the country. It doesn't feel like it, but I'm telling you, you go into these opposing stadiums and our fans really travel well, or or, or at least are, are, are showing themselves this year more than, than they have in years past. So hopefully we can keep that up. I can remember that back in the 90s. Uh, my family made a couple of trips. We did a Detroit weekend once. And uh, we also, the first time the Indians played the Cubs at Wrigley, um, it's kind of ironic. 97, the way they, 97, I was there. For the, for the Cubs trip. Yes. Oh, okay, I, w- I was there too. I went to I went to two of those games. I sat uh, in the bleachers, both games too. I went to, a, I think it was Friday night, Saturday afternoon, I was there. Yeah, it was, it was a night game and then a day game after that. Yep. And um, I specifically remember 98 because it was the year that Sosa and McGuire were uh, both chasing uh, Roger Maris's home run mark. And Sosa, I think, went 0 for 9 in that two-game series. And the second game of that series, he made the last out of the inning in, like, the first, third, fifth, and ninth, or just something outrageous. So um, he was he was basically tearing the cover off the ball against every other team, and then the Indians just absolutely shut him down. But, uh, you know, it was just – it was it was strange knowing that, like, you know, what happened with – uh, the, you know, the Cubs fans coming into Cleveland last year because that series in '98, we completely took over their stadium. Oh yeah, and Absolutely. and the people there had no idea what to do with that because it was. I mean, the Cubs are kind of that you know national team with being on WGN all those years, and to have somebody come into Wrigley Field and, and you know as a visiting team take over their park that was that was pretty fun. Those were great. I was uh, like I said, I was there too, and. Uh... That was the year before I moved to Chicago, actually. And okay. it was a great time. I lived in Chicago for eight years. I used to go see him every year, you know, when they played the White Sox. And yeah, that was fun. That was fun, no doubt. No what do you think of Houston? I've, I've never been to the park down there. Okay, so the park itself is very nice. I liked it. However, there's nothing around the ballpark. It's very strange. Like you would think, you know, it's, it's in downtown. Downtown Houston is not great in terms of things to do there were no almost no restaurants and bars around like there was no little you know you go to most ballparks like there was no east fork for example like there was nothing um the park itself was very nice but i was not impressed with what was going on around it hmm. and you said you went to Coors this year out in colorado yes now that was vibrant there was stuff everywhere around Coors. Yeah. that was the first time i'd been to Coors. it was i loved it I went to a game there last August. I was a big fan. And yeah. if I'm if I'm being 100% honest, what they did with their upper deck and right field is what I wish we would have done with ours. Although well, I do I think, like the quarter I, bar at the lower level. I think they they that was one of the stadiums that they kind of, you know, uh, took their idea from. They really did a nice job there. And, you know, Coors is, again, there's so much going on around the stadium, which I loved. I thought was terrific. It was it was a great place to see a game. To me, though, 
the best two ballparks are Pittsburgh and San Francisco, and really nothing else is, is even close to those two. Pittsburgh is – they're 1 and 1A. One I love CNC Park. Just okay. amazing. I went there to see the Indians uh, – what was it? must have been two years – two or three years ago. They played over July 4th. We went. It was great. I will be going to another park in that discussion uh, about a month from right now. I'm, uh, I will be in Baltimore in mid-August. And I've never been to Camden Yards. The Indians won't be there, but uh, the Orioles are at home. And uh, that's been one of my parks that's been on my bucket list to get to. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to that one. I have been there. I saw the Indians play there the summer of 95, actually. My girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, her parents were living in Baltimore that summer, which was great. It was the summer of my fre- after my freshman year in college. And I saw, I think it was like a 13 or 14 inning game. And Jim told me he had a home run to win the game in extras. And it was great. That park is, you know, it's, you know, I think it was 92. It, it opened either 92 mm-hmm. or 93. And it was the first of the new parks. Yes. So it's awesome. Don't get me wrong. It's totally awesome. I loved it. But it's like the things that could be improved on there. Everything in Pittsburgh and San Francisco are just, if you've never been to Pittsburgh or San Francisco, I'm telling you, there's nothing that touches those two. And I love Camden Yards, but these two are head and shoulders above every other sporting venue I've ever been to in any other sport. Okay. I drove past PNC in Pittsburgh uh, a few weeks ago. I did, the Pirates were not in town, but uh, I was uh, I was in uh, Pittsburgh for a work trip and got to see that. And unfortunately, I had a nice view of uh, Heinz Field uh, yeah. across the river. Um, for, yellow uh, the hotel. Yeah, not not really much of a fan of that, but um, barf. Yeah, yeah, no, but no, but Camden though was uh, last year. I was I was in Baltimore for um, uh, in the the winter time. It was kind of funny when was when I left my hotel and was going to the airport. I actually saw I, I was coming up to where the park was, and I saw the warehouse first before I saw the stadium, and I was like. Oh my God! I'm right by Camden Yards, and I, you know, then you look across the street, and there it is. But it's just kind of neat having that warehouse out in right field. It's so distinctive, and uh, yeah, it's actually, great. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Trev, uh, any uh, uh, road trip uh, the favorite uh, out of town venues that you want to chime in with here? Well, honestly, most of mine are college football related, not at all baseball. I've only been to, um, I've been to Wrigley. And it was a mediocre experience. I didn't really get. I didn't really get it's all dumped. the build up. Um, dump. Yeah, I mean, I went. And it was. It was cool. Whatever. I was in Chicago, so I was had about six beers before I got there. You could have just dumped me in the middle of you know any park really, and I would have had a great time. Um, but it was fine. Um, I'll, I'll say, just in general, going on the road. Um, I think this is probably amplified a little bit in college football because of how important games are in college football. Um, there's nothing more fun than being um, a vast minority in a stadium and winning a significant game. Um, I went totally to the 05 Michigan totally game and I stood in the student section surrounded by Michigan fans that flooded out as me and some complete stranger, Sun Carmen, Ohio, at the top of our lungs. And they just threw every insult they could at us. But it didn't matter because we won. So then if I know a lot of people, there's probably a lot of people out there that don't really go see their teams anywhere else. Um, There are a few things more exciting than winning a significant game on the road. Um, Probably close to as fun as 
as home games. I could not agree more. I went to Kansas. I'm a huge KU basketball fan, and I, I go every year to at least one or two road games. And this year, I took my son, who's 10, to Kentucky, and we drove from here. You know, it was like a five-hour drive. And Kansas won in Rupp, and it was the best winning in that arena with those, you know, big blue nation and, you know, those crazy fans watching us win there. I, I totally agree with you. There, there's something about going into a road venue when you're, you know, it, there were, we were a real small minority. I mean, I, I there were probably a hundred KU fans, but it was so great shutting up an opposing uh, um, team. I love when that. You're, when you you're cheering really loudly and there's 500 people around you that are all just pissed off. There's no better <laughs> feeling in the world. The best. It's totally incredible. Agree. Yep. No all right. You guys are selling me. I think I might need to uh, go, go jump in the car on uh, one of these uh, upcoming Indians road trips. Cause they've been pretty good uh, away from progressive field this year as it is. Right. And uh, it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm getting uh, amped again here. There you go, Tom. Let's hope right, that, yeah, let's hope the rest of the season is a little more, uh, a little more like that. Less yeah. frustrating. Yes, less frustrating. PD, are you going to be down at the game on Saturday? I'm not, actually. Uh, I will be there uh, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, but I will not be there Saturday. All right. I will make sure to collect a uh, Jason Kipnis bobblehead in your honor. Though. Please so. do. You're Listen, and get get some Ws. We, 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 we got to improve at home. This, 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 this home record is I mean, that's where they thrived last year was they, they owned their home field. And this year it's been the complete opposite. Very bizarre. Although with the way the standings are shaking out right now, uh, tribe would probably not be having a home field in any round of the playoffs. So nope. um, I, I, I guess uh, being a really good road team in that situation kind of sets up well for them, but uh, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, but uh, exactly. TD, this is awesome. Uh, once again, uh, we uh, always appreciate having you on the show, and uh, thanks for taking the time, man. Anytime, boys. Thanks for having me. All right. So for those of you who are uh, checking out our podcast for the first time tonight, you can go subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. Just uh, go sub- uh, go to the podcast app on your iPhone, search the nail in the coffin, click on our logo, and hit the subscribe button. We're also on Google Play, Stitcher, and most other podcast listening apps. You can catch up on old episodes on our website, thenailpodcast.com, and be sure to go like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thenailpodcast. Uh, we posted a link to that uh, Cleveland Scene interview with Jason Kipnis, uh, so if you did not happen to catch that story last week, go on our Facebook page. We got the link up there. So uh, I think that'll do it for us. Our thanks once again to TD Derry. Uh, for Travis Julius, Tom Valentino. It's been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again next week. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers. Every episode of Double Down with Breslow is packed with insider tips, deeply skilled analysis, and in-depth discussions. Don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting. Listen to Double Down with Breslow on the Evergreen Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts.
podcast. That's Double Down with Breslow, the business of sports betting podcast.